Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is March 1st, 2023, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer and we'll begin. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We pray for life, health, and strength for all of us. And we pray for those who are sick among us as well. Uh, in particular, we have Jeff, my brother, who uh, is uh, having some illness at this time. We're praying for him, for his healing, for his welfare, his well-being, Father, you, according to your will. Also, Father, we are praying for others that are on our hearts. I, I don't know all the names, but you know the hearts of all of your people, and you know what cares and concerns that they have. So, Father, we are asking for your healing and for your presence in our lives uh, when it comes to taking care of the things that we need so we can just depend on you and know that you have our best interest at heart all the, all the time. So we thank you for that. But we pray as we begin our worship service that you would give us wisdom so that when we look at these scriptures, your spirit will teach us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so... I, we are studying in the book of Romans. We are on chapter 12, and we're still looking at Romans 12.1. This is the second part of where we, uh, we did pick up last week with Romans 12.1, but we didn't quite finish. So we have about half the verse to look at. And so that's where we're going to pick up tonight, Romans 12.1. You should have notes. So in your notes, <clears throat> uh, Romans 12, 1 reads, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, your true and proper worship. I'm glad we have the word of God. It gives us guidance on so many things that we need in life. An important part of our life is worship. Of course, we can choose to worship or not to worship. However, to define worship, God has not left this to us. In God's definition of worship, we will not see traditional or cultural standards. When it comes to worship, we all need the same things. And we're going to talk about those things that we need. What qualifies as true worship? Now, this is, for many, a controversial subject or question. Not really, but a lot of people have defined worship subjectively. And for them, worship has been defined by tradition, culture, in the ways they have been uh, trained, what we might call religious training. All of us are affected by this. None have escaped this. So we think about what is spiritual, we think about what is godly or holy, and our, to some extent our culture and religious traditions have defined those words for us. What are we seeking to do here 
We're trying to find out from God what he considers worship. Each of us probably would define it in different ways, but we don't have the liberty to define what worship is because we're not worshiping God according to our what pleases us. We're worshiping God according to what pleases him. He is the subject of our worship. So we can't look at worship in traditional ways because we're dealing with people all over the world who are from different religious training, religious culture, all those things, traditions. They're different than ours. So we can't expect that our traditions and customs would be the standard for the whole world. That doesn't even seem logical. <laughs> Not even from a spiritual point of view, but just logical that we would dictate what is and what is not true worship. God will tell us, and that's what we're here for. So these verses in particular define that for us. And this is where we are. So we covered all the way down to, I think we are at point number three. No. Yeah, point number three. That's where we were. So we... To offer, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Point number three is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A couple of points, and we'll pick up to where we left off, and then we'll, <clears throat> we'll move forward. So point A is knowing what God has done for us, what can we do to honor him and his unique plan in which we are the focus? We, what can we do? First of all, we know God saved us, and we know he called us to a holy calling. So what can we do if, is the thought of that uh, point A. And the thought is we can't pay God back for what he's done. What he's done, he's done in grace. We didn't earn it, and we can't pay God for, doing, for, for calling us. We can have thankfulness. And gratitude and that could be our motivation for why we do what we do which in turn can be translated as worship so the motivation for uh, why we respond to God in the way we do is going to be thankfulness gratitude right? because if we have different motivations for why we do what we do and it could be self-serving. I just want God to bless me. That's why I'm doing the things I'm doing. That's, that's a wrong motivation. We, are, we can't pay God. We, we don't work ourselves into some sort of relationship with God. God has already in grace, sovereignly given us salvation. Well, I shouldn't say sovereignly because we had a choice to make. All we did was believe in Christ. But sovereignly, what he did was he chose us to be in Christ before the creation of the world. So that part of it, we, none of it can we claim or boast because salvation is by grace, but, and so is our calling, our sovereign call of God by grace. So we don't have any part in it. So as I said, all we have done is made positive a positive decision to believe in Christ and all of that happened for us so we are thankful 
and hopefully you stop and focus on what God has done. So that will increase the attitude and motivation of thankfulness and appreciation, gratitude that we have for what God has done. And the way as a, the way that's increased is knowing what He's done. The more you know, the more we can be thankful. So that's point A. Point B, our, we can offer our bodies. What does it mean to offer our bodies? It means to give of ourselves to the play, right? So if God did all this for a particular reason, it, he didn't just create things and say, well, randomly, we have come to exist in the plan. No, it was purposefully that he called us, not somebody else, us. We are in the plan because God chose us to be here at this particular point in human history. He did it purposefully. So because of that, he, he is turning to us so that we can understand what he's done and to recognize that there is an agenda here. He's not just saying float along, do whatever, you know, this is now that you know that we, I chose you for this particular plan. He, he's expecting that you would come to appreciate the plan and to live according to the calling that we have received. He, now, of course, if you do that, if you do follow those, that thought with the right motivation, there will be rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. I think that's point F. We haven't gotten there yet. But just to know that anytime you use your volition for God and you you partner with him in work, God is willing to reward us for the things done while in the body. He is certainly willing to reward us. So we, we're not to think that that's not the case. So offering our bodies means to give of ourselves to the plan. In the same way God has given himself to this plan. That's the thought. It doesn't mean just, well, whatever's on my body, I'm, that's what I'm going to offer. But that is a metaphor to say he needs your whole self. Jesus said it another way. He says we need to love God. Love means to have the proper motivation toward God with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. If we were to sum all that up, he's saying everything you have. Give to give of yourself to God in this way. And of everything you have, the whole you, all that you have, give yourself to God. Because that's what we see God has done for us. He did not spare his own son, but he gave him over to judgment for us all, says Romans 8. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God has given everything for the plan, for, for this plan. So when we come along, we don't just say, oh, well, you know, we're here. The Holy Spirit is prompting me to, to so that I can be blessed and I can be promoted and I, in my business or I can be, you know, ex I can excel in the world in some way. He's saying, I would love for you to get on board with the plan that I have for you. Yes, I'm going to provide for you while you're in the world. Yes, you're going to have to work or find means to support um, 
you know, that I've given you to support yourself in this world. And I would expect that you do a good job doing whatever it is you're doing. But the main objective, your main focus in world in this life comes as a result of what God has done for you and your knowledge of it. Now, if you don't know, well, that's one thing. And if you, that means God the Holy Spirit is here on this earth at this point in time in human history. He was never here like he's here now. He's been here in the past, but not where the plan of God is revealed and, and is open. This is the plan that was hidden from ages and generations, but is now revealed to the saints. So this, the Holy Spirit is here for the very purpose of, of, of getting you to, leading you to the knowledge of the truth, that you may come to the full and deep knowledge of the truth. And what is that? That's the Father's plan. That's why he's here. And if you don't come to the knowledge, then it would say that you have resisted God the Holy Spirit in this area. You, if you don't know, I mean, it's his job to, but he's not going to force you to know. But he's going to do everything in his power that you come to the knowledge of the truth from your own will. That you make the decisions to come to the knowledge of the truth. He's going to lead you. You just have to have the humility to follow. So this is what it means in point B. Point C, to, it means to yield, to surrender ourselves, to allow the Father to use our presence, our place in this world, just like our Lord did. So when Christ was here, he yielded his presence to the Father. What do we mean by his presence? His life. So when we talk about you and you yielding yourself, you are saying that I have presence here. All of us do. We're alive. We're breathing here in this world. So we are allowing the Father and Christ to occupy our space that we have, our influence. And so that is what it means to yield. It doesn't mean you come up with a strict regimen of, of what you're doing and what you're how you're living, and it, it, it means that you're, you're giving yourself to the Father's plan so that He, Christ, can come and live in you. Like Paul said, it, he said it perfectly in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now we know Paul speaking metaphorically because he didn't go to the cross. <laughs> we know that. So when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, he's saying that I've my interests, my ambitions, my dreams, my goals that I had for life are no longer active within me. He says, he says I've been crucified by life, with Christ, but I, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me had the right proper motivation, the same motivation I have for allowing him to live in me and gave himself for me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. This is the same motivation we are to have. Are we living for ourselves? Are we living for the Father, for Christ and his plan? And this is, the. And we don't have to figure it out. The Holy Spirit has already done that. Our, the, the hardest job that we have in this life is humility. 
That means following the Holy Spirit's lead. It's the hardest thing, right? You might say, well, the hardest thing is to learn rocket science or something. Well, no, that's not what we're called to do. The hardest thing is for us to follow Christ. That's it. Because it takes humility to do that. It means we have to stop coming up with our own agenda for life and decide that the Father's plan is number one in our uh, consciousness. So let's keep going. Before we know it, it'll be too late. We won't have time for some Q&A. So, so anyway, that was point C. We have to have that. We're not going to cover it because we covered this last week. Point D then. So we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Instead of dying on the altar of sacrifice, which we have seen in the Bible, metaphorically speaking, by animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, we saw that an animal had to sac, well, well, not willingly, but the animal's life was sacrificed. And because of that, we had this doctrine of what we call substitution, where uh, the animal's life would be given for our lives. So that the whole thought of sacrifice and judgment goes way back. And this thought, it continues in this metaphor today. God is not asking you to die for him. He already did that. He's asking you to live for him. Christ isn't here anymore. He's no longer in the world. But you are in the world. And what you can do for God, what you can uh, offer him as a matter of worship, is to give of yourselves on the altar. And it's a sacrifice. Why is it a sacrifice? Because that animal lost his life. And what will happen to you if you give yourself as a living sacrifice? Then you're going to lose your life. Now Jesus said these things, these squirrely things, and people are like, well, I don't know what that means, but he says, for those who love their lives will lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you will find it, right? (laughs) These things... People have to stare and think about, well, what do we mean by losing my life, giving up my life? What do you mean? He's talking about sacrifice here. He's not saying dying on the altar. He's saying living as a sacrifice. So I like what he says in uh, Ephesians 4.1. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You're not doing this because you've been saved. You're doing this because of the high calling that we have. And obviously salvation, you could be thankful for God's gift of salvation. No doubt about it. But the understanding of why you're giving your life to this and why God is able to to use your presence in this world is to promote, to advance the Father's plan. That's what it's for so that he can advance his eternal purpose through your presence in this, li- in this life. So that, that's the idea, is to give of yourself as a living sacrifice. So he, here Paul says it straight out. I urge you to live a life, live a life. I'm not saying go ahead and, and sacrifice your life in, in, in the sense that you die, but live a life worthy of the calling you have. Receive. We have received it. 
Now, will you live according to it or not is the question. Point E, all we have to give is our, our equipped presence in this world. When I say equipped presence, this, what do we have? We have our equipped presence in this world. Now, what I'm trying to say here, clumsily maybe, is that we are not just here to say, well, I'm giving you my life. No, but God has saved us and he's indwelt us. We are the temple of God. Remember, there are four people living inside of you. And we could say who it is. It's the Father, it's the Son, it's, the, it's Christ, and it's wait a minute, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. That's the Son in Christ is the same one. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. That's three living inside of you. And then there's you. Okay, so you, since it's your life, they are not going to push you over and decide, well, we're doing what we want with your life. No, they're giving you an opportunity to express your motivation. And, and this is important. Like Paul says, well, I'm crucified with Christ. Nonetheless, I live. But you now have the opportunity to decide how you want to give your life. Now, you have all this equipment, right? This is the assets that have been provided you. This power, right? This, not only God is keeping you alive in the devil's world for a purpose. The world, you're not part of the world. The world hates you. If you think the world is your friend, then you, you're mistaken. The world is against the Father's plan. You are in the world to, to, to manifest the presence of the Father. It's not just like, wow, some power emanating from you. But it is about advancing the Father's purposes in the world. Now, we know that this world is not going to be transformed and somehow, all of a sudden, everybody's going to turn Christian. No, we know the world is going to get worse and worse. Evil men and seducers will get worse and worse, says the Apostle Paul. And, and, or in Hebrews, it says the world is just like an old garment, just getting older and older. Eventually, God is going to tear it up, and the heavens are going to open up, and Christ is going to come. So we know that this, this world has an end. This system of things that is going on, it will not continue forever. So we don't want to invest in it. We want to invest in something that is eternal, and that is God's eternal purpose. So this is the point, right? So here, um, worship, so, so there we're in point three, E. All, all we have is to give is our equipped presence in the world. Because once you die, once that's it, once you leave or you're asleep, you're, you're absent from the body and you're present with the Lord. You're done in the world. You no longer have anything or any say of anything that is done under the sun. Ecclesiastes tells us that once we leave here, you're gone. That's it. You're out of here. You won't have any more influence. Your presence in the world is no longer active, right? Well, where is your presence? If you're present now with the Lord, where's the Lord? He's in heaven. That's We know that he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, so says Romans 8. So the thought here 
is that we have this presence now with the assets God has provided us, the sealing ministry. We have a gift, right? We have uh, the baptism of the Spirit where we're taken out of this world and now we're unique in Christ, new creations. And then we, we have the filling of the Holy Spirit, the power to not only learn and comprehend, but to apprehend the things that God has promised us and given us in this life. So all of that is part of what we are to give to God as those who are chosen before time began. So point F, 3F, if so, if so. Uh, and, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't talk about Romans 12, 6 or 8, which talks about the gifts and the things that have been provided us. I did mention the things that God has given us in this life. This is what we are to offer to God. Point F, if so, we will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5, 10, which says that each one of us will have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So if these things are due us, because if we have given ourselves, we have given our lives over, God is going to reward us for those things that we have done while in the body. So we'll cover a couple more points here. Point number four, holy and pleasing to God. So to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Point A is holy, hagias. There's a lot of different forms of this word. Uh, same word, uh, we get saints from, or holy ones, or the word is used for us in this world. We are said to be holy ones. So what does it mean to be holy? Does it mean that we just... You know, I could, I could say how the world looks at people who are holy. We walk around with our hands folded and everybody we see, we bow and, and we're just holy people. Or we're like monks in a monastery somewhere that, you know, we don't talk to anybody, but we're always in prayer to God. And if somebody asks a question of us, we look up in the sky and we contemplate God all the time. That's not holy. That's not what God is asking of you here, that you need to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, but pleasing to God. Let's think about this for a minute. Holy means, yes, pure, morally blameless, or religiously, ceremonially consecrated, right? And so really, it means to be set apart for God's purposes. When we say God's purposes, we mean pleasing to God. That's point B. It speaks of those in the church who we are consecrated, that is, set apart for God's holy purposes. So when we look at John 17, 17, and 19, let's look at it. Oh, hold on. John 17, 17, which we have read before, and you know what it is because it is the scripture we've used to talk about what is our church. It says, sanctify them by the truth. Now that word to sanctify also is a root of this word, hagias. So it means to, be, to set them apart for my purposes that will be pleasing to me 
How? How do we do it? By the truth. The truth described by Jesus here from John 17 is what the Holy Spirit will bring us. He says, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So that's the truth that we are being set apart unto. That's the truth that we are sanctified by. Let's read it again. Sanctify them by the truth. Not just any truth. The truth that Christ is revealing in this new age. This is what he was preparing the disciples who would later become the apostles of the church. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so so, so here we have the truth. And it's the word of God that will be our guiding principle. The Holy Spirit will be the one who leads us in the very things that God has given us. The word. So we are to be set apart unto that. That's what's going to make us different. That's the Father's plan. That's what defines us. That's what gives us the eternal purpose in our lives. That's why we sacrifice. We, we give of ourselves for the Father's eternal purpose. I can't say enough about this thought because God has an agenda. He is, he's not just up there where you put in 50 cents and now you can hit the button and, and, and get something from God. You can't. It doesn't work that way. What The way it does work is the Father has an agenda. The Son has that same agenda. The Holy Spirit has that agenda. The pastor should have that agenda. And you should have the agenda. The same agenda that all of them have. That's the thought. So 17 and 19, it says, for them, Christ says, I sanctify myself. Now, get this. He's saying for us. He sets himself apart because of how special he is. Right? He's pleasing to God because of what he's doing. So he's saying for them, I'm setting myself apart unto this purpose. For us, we should be setting ourselves apart for this purpose as well. He, if Christ says he's doing it, so he, that they too may be truly sanctified. So we're supposed to have the same purpose in this world as Christ did. And when, when we say that, we mean the Father's eternal purpose. Christ says, I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father has commanded me to do. So that, that's what that speaks of. That's what it means to be holy. And it's not to be pleasing to us. Remember, it's pleasing to God. Once we learn about what God's plan is, once we understand it, that's the only way we can submit to it. We can't submit to what we don't understand. Once we get it, once we hear it and understand what Christ was getting at, what Paul is getting at, what the New Testament is getting at, once we understand it, then we can, under, we can begin to respond in appreciation, right, like we talked about, and gratitude to what God has called us to from eternity past. And then we can order our lives according to it. You know, that is what worship is. That is what it is. A couple more thoughts here. Point C, 4C is where we're at now. Since this speaks of our walk being pure, blameless, 
we need to have the proper motivation and God will do the rest. Remember we talked about what is our job? Our job is to have humility. Humility is, okay, God, here I am. I'm presenting myself to you. I'm giving you my presence in the world. But who who am I? What is my motivation? Hopefully your motivation is right. And we go to 1 John 1, 7 for that thought. 1 John 1, 7. I would stop at this point and say we got some Q&A. But what we're going to do is keep pushing on because we did get a little late start. We're going to push on through this point. So 1 John 1, 7. Why do we, is it important for this to be documented? Is because we need the proper motivation here. We cannot think about submitting ourselves to God, having the proper attitude, unless we have the proper motivation. And this has to be an ongoing thing that that happens within us. Our will has to be submitted to the Father's will. And if we don't, if we if we don't have this, then we end up uh, in First John one six. Let's see what First John one six says. I know we start at seven, right? But one six six says, if we claim to have fellowship with Him, now already. Why would somebody allege to have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness? Okay, so if you're walking in darkness and you know it, then you can't think that God is walking there with you. You have the wrong motivation for life and you are walking in darkness. Darkness means that it is not according to God's will. It's the, this world or your sin nature or whatever you're doing. What is the result of that? We lie. We misrepresent ourselves. The tr- and, the tr- and, and we do not live out the truth. And so, so he's saying to live out the truth. The, the truth is this new age information that the Father has revealed to us, that he hid from Israel, he hid from Gentiles, he hid it from angels, but he has now revealed it to us. This is now what Christ has been calling the truth that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us all into. So when leading and guiding us into means we will walk according to it, but it won't be us walking. It'll be Christ walking in us, just like Paul says, but the life I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It'll be by the truth. That's how we live out. And John calls it living out the truth. There it is. So if you have the wrong motivation, that's wrong. You don't, it doesn't produce fellowship with God. You are walking in darkness and you are misrepresenting yourself. You are not being transparent because you know you're walking in darkness. And you are alleging to have fellowship with God. There's deception there, not transparency and humility. Point, uh, not point, but verse 7. But if we walk in the light, what is the light? Uh, That's Ephesians 5.13. The light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So goodness, righteousness means you're not only uh, focusing on the Father's plan, Right, but you're doing it in a way 
that is according to the way God would have you do it. Right? God does everything he does. He does it righteously. And you might say, well, when Adam sins in the garden, why didn't God just say, well, Adam, I understand that was a tough thing, decision you had to make. I'm going to just say, skip it. We'll, we'll start all over again. Uh, no, God, that's not righteous according to God. God has to be righteous in all respects. So if we're going to do it God's way, it has to be done righteously according to the standards of God. So uh, if, if, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, right? And the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth, right? Ephesians 5.13. We have fellowship with one another. So what, is, what do we have to do now? First, claiming to have fellowship with him. Well, that's deception. But walking in the light means we're ordering our lives according to the light. What's the light? The Father's plan. And the light depends on you and your understanding of the Father's plan. So you do, we call it this way, we live up to the light that we know. We can't live up to light that we don't know. We can't walk according to light that we don't know. So this light has, it's good because every believer, every believer will have a different level of light. And that doesn't mean we don't all have the same truth. It just means that we don't all approach it in the same way. And the, whether, and the only way you can get light is through humility. So if you have light, you are able to walk in it. Walking in the light is living up to what you know, having the proper motivation to order your life around what is truth, what is righteousness. And if you are able to do that, it means you are, you, you are responsible to God in this area. So if you do that, that's all you have to do is have the proper motivation. It didn't say anything about confessing your sins or any of that. It just means ordering your life according to the truth, understanding what the truth is, and ordering your life according to it. He's saying if you do that, if you live up to the light you have, he says we have fellowship with one another. This is how you get, this is not only, we're not talking about how to get in fellowship, we're talking about how to walk and be in fellowship. This is what is required. This is what in fellowship looks like. Ordering your life according to the truth. That's what it looks like. That's the proper motivation that we have. And what happens as a result of that? The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, so just because you're, you're living up to the light that you have, if you don't have light that exposes unrighteousness or sinfulness in your life, because the only way it can be exposed is the light will expose it. But because everybody's at a different stage of growth, we don't all know. So the point that God is saying is we can't, none of us can be pure and, from, and clean from all sin because we've decided to walk according to the light we have. So none of us are sinless. But God's saying, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about the fact that you had some sin. What I'm worried about is your attitude, right? If, if you have the proper motivation, then I will do the rest. God, that's all God is saying. I, I'm not expecting you to be sinless, 
but I'm expecting you to have the right attitude, the right motivation. That's what you can have toward the truth that you do know. If you don't know it, well, you can't be held responsible for it. All God is asking you to be is responsible for having the proper attitude. And on top of that, guess what he will do in the end, as we already covered in point 3F? You'll be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. For God will reward every man for whatever good he has done, whether slave or free. So we know it, this was... This is later. We'll get rewarded for it. Right now, we're in the business of having the proper motivation so the Holy Spirit can lead and guide us into all truth. So that's, that's 1 John 1, 7. So God takes care of that, the, the, purifies us from all sin. So we're not to think, well, we're, we're really good. No, what we ought to think is that God has offered us this unique fellowship where we can grow and the Holy Spirit has influence over our lives and we can grow in grace and in the knowledge where we can continue to walk. And Christ ends up walking in us in those areas of light where we are walking with him. That's the fellowship when Christ is able to walk in us. That's 1 John 1, 7. He purifies us from all sin. John 1, 8, 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's just like verse 6 to some degree. We claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. Here, if we claim to be without sin, well, we allege we're without sin, right? We can believe that. Even if we believe that, it's self-deception because it's not true. We came from a place of sin and unrighteousness and spiritual death and condemnation and all of the thoughts were evil all the time to where God is beginning to show us truth. So we don't want to get the big head. We don't want to think, oh, all of a sudden now we're somehow pleasing to God because of our works. No, we're pleasing to God because of this provision that he has for us. He's pleased if we follow and have the proper motivation, not because we can refrain from sins and now say, well, God, I must be clean because I I can't think of any sins that I have. No, we're deceiving ourselves. It's not about sin. It's about motivation. So 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. Okay, now, here, so we got all these if statements, right? From 1, 6, if, 1, 7, if, 8, if, is where we're at. If we claim to be without sin, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. Well, what do we do if we know we've sinned? What if we know we violated the light that we have. We know the light, but we didn't do the light. We, we didn't walk in the light. So what we know, the whole, so light means the Holy Spirit is influencing us to walk in truth. Our motivation is important. And all these ifs are saying uh, the various conditions that could possibly happen. Right? Well, if this, if that, if this, if that. He's giving you all the scenarios so you understand how this provision works. So if you, if you confess your sin, in other words, if you've walked in darkness, this is what the person in 1.6 should have been doing. He, should, he claimed to have fellowship, but yet he was walking in darkness. What should he have done? He should have just confessed his sins. That's what he should have done, but he didn't. He tried to cover it up, but God knows the heart. So you're playing a game that, that is uh, futile. 
because he already knows what's going on inside. So if you confess your sin, meaning admit, admit, be transparent with God. So yes, I did that. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. He's not asking us to ask for forgiveness. He's saying, just admit it. Cite your sin. Just say to God, God, I did it. I'm, I was wrong. I did that. That's just, I know I was wrong. I should not have done that. I should not have. And you could say what it is you've done to God. That's what it means to confess. I think when it comes to God, we, we play with this word. But when it comes to each other, we know what it means. If somebody sees or knows you've done wrong, you've wronged them, they know you've done wrong, and you refuse to, to say that you did it. You refuse it. There's going to be that tension between you. Because now you don't have the proper motivation. The proper motivation is if you sin, yes, okay, you did. You stepped out of line on purpose. Then what do you do? You need to confess it. You need to tell God that you did it. And he, what will he do? He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if, even if you think, well, um, you know, uh, I confessed all my sins, so that's why I'm clean now before you. No, no, you're not clean. Remember, you're living up to the light that you have. And the fact that you confess sins means the Holy Spirit has revealed that you, were you have stepped out of the light. It does not mean that we're perfect. Our walk is perfect before God. So if, if God, if we confess our sins, well, God does the rest. He's faithful and just. He'll forgive us. What does forgive us mean here? He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about restoration of fellowship here. That's what he's referring to here. Restoration of fellowship. So you were out of fellowship because you've stepped out of the light. What do you need to do? Confess it so that he, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us. He will restore you to fellowship uh, of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, same thing. God does the rest. We are dependent on God for our walk. It doesn't mean that somehow we control our walk. Only thing we can control is our motivation. We can have a pure heart when it comes to God, a transparent heart, a heart where we admit our wrongs. We don't cover our sins and failures before God. We come to him and, and tell him, yes, God, we did that. We're wrong. We were wrong in that. So we confess it and then we move forward in walking in the light. Right? So verse 10, we're going to have to close, but if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out a lot to be a liar and his word is not in us. Well, if we say that there's just no such thing as sin. So Paul is, not Paul, but John is dealing with the things that the uh, uh, Gnostics, the early Gnostic thought, he's trying to also deal with some of the lies that they have told about sinfulness and how we're really not sinful. It's the flesh, but we are not sinful. No, he's saying, no, we have sinned. Yes, we have. And if we, if we don't believe that, then we're making God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, we need God's word. We need the truth here. And we need to orient to the truth. So we're going to stop just to see 
if there are any questions. We may shelve these questions for next time, but let's just lay it out on the line. If there's anything can be answered quickly, I will pause. All right, so um, we have reached the end of our worship service here, so our Bible study. Let's come back next week if there are questions about this point. This is point number C, since this speaks of our walk being pure, blameless, right? This is holy and pleasing to God. This is how we need to have the proper motivation, and God will do the rest. Yeah, that's how it works. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had and for this fantastic provision. What can we give to you? And worship, as we've understood, is not just because we've gone to church and we're in a choir or worship here, Father, is what you have defined as our daily walk before you. That is our worship giving ourselves as living sacrifices. So we thank you for the definition of that. As we go into these verses even more, uh, especially our true and proper worship, we will understand your will and what pleases you. We thank you for this provision, <clears throat> the fact that we can respond to you in this way. And we thank you for those who have joined our worship service and we pray that you will bring us together again next week as we continue to discuss this most important topic of how we respond in worship to you in this world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.